<clears throat> we, we can roll into it we'll like when we actually get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Let's, just, let's just go. Let's just let's go. Let's just go. All right, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> welcome to the Your Ideas Suck podcast brought to you by Flexibility. As usual today, we are joined by Eric Hansen, veteran designer, mountain biker, and water cooler sage. Also, Nacho, uh, product leader, and entrepreneur, and office dad. His words, not mine. <laughs> At what point but, did I become a sage? I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll change it up for the next episode. We'll just keep uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, if other people see me as a sage, that's fine. I just didn't get the memo. So. <laughs> and uh, as usual, I'm your host. Uh, my name is Ryan Bell, and like you, I'm here to learn more about product management design from the people who know it best. So, all right, gentlemen, let's jump in. Nacho, do you want to start us off with the news? The news, the news, the news I brought today was, I thought, interesting news, although I feel like there's stuff that's been eclipsing it so far. But um, the story that, that I found interesting was about tech layoffs. So um, I recently worked at a large company um, that starts with a W uh, that laid off a bunch of workers. We had a whole bunch of other tech companies lay off a whole bunch of workers and it's just really interesting to see how, you know, these companies have used this competitive advantage of talent suddenly go, oh, we're, we're, we're running tight. We dump all the talent <laughs> kind of kind of first. And so I guess there's a couple of arguments here. One is it like, are we running really fat? We're just like, well, we have cash. We just get a bunch of people in. Or, you know, is this just a sign of like more cuts and more, more kind of issues coming? I'm really, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting signal. Yeah, the um, so the company that you didn't want to name, I will. Uh, so I was I was one of the the nine hundred laid off from Wayfair this past one, and like three or four weeks after I started at Wayfair three years ago, they had laid off around five hundred, I think. So now you're talking right. about a company in, in in three years that has laid off fourteen hundred people. So laid off some, hired a bunch, laid off more. Like I don't know what's going on there, but like obviously it's it's kind of industry wide. You've got. It's a really interesting question because you've got, um, was it? I'm going to forget his name. Uh, the the CEO of, of Alphabet and Google, um, Sundai something to Google. Sundai. <laughs> let, me, let me Google who the Google guy is. <clears throat> Should be quick. Sundar. Yeah, but, but yeah. According to Google books. Oh, holy hell! You really know <laughs> I'm glad the capture picked that up. <laughs> <laughs> my google hub is now talking to me <laughs> you mentioned our ceo let me give you some facts right? that's right but it's not it's not listening it's fine <laughs> hey google stop that's good content um <laughs> she's like okay <laughs> quality quality no, but like Google, Google's looking at, uh, you know, the, you've seen stuff in the news about them looking um, hard at their workforce and, and talking about maybe uh, taking, uh, taking people out, um, not murder them, but fire them um, uh, to the point of like, what was it? Uh, like the rest and vest days are over. Um, you know, obviously Facebook is, is, there's been some stuff in the headlines about that as well in terms of, you know, y'all need to produce more or we're going to start letting people go. So yeah, what's happened over the past three or four years? Is it that COVID, the the internet companies that like did really well in COVID are now like, uh-oh, stuff's going back to real and we messed up or like, I don't know. You know, you mentioned the rest of us actually, just real quick. I thought what was interesting there is that maybe what it is, is this is a reaction to coming back to the office. 
Mm. As the workforce is pushing back to not coming in the office, like, well, we'll just get rid of a bunch of people. We'll tighten up the demand, and then we can tell them what to do more. Yeah. I mean, my, my sort of question comes in at, like, are, are we looking at year-over-year year year numbers? And that's, like, really becoming the driver for, like, some of these layoffs where it's, like, you know, like, to Eric's point, you know, companies that were doing tremendously well because people were investing in certain areas during the pandemic. And now we're looking at year-over-year year numbers, and it's, like, you're not going to see that growth um, Wayfair might actually be a decent example, you know, people investing more in their, in their houses, you know, mm-hmm. spending more time inside, more furniture, things like that. And then their year over year numbers come in. It's like, oh, well, that's disappointing. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but yeah. it, you know, that was never going to be sustainable, but I feel like the market puts such a priority on that year over year and that continuous growth that, you know, they feel pressured to attain that. hundred percent. This is like, you know, I don't know how this plays or not, but like this is 100% on the leaders, right? Like, yeah, you've planned poorly, you've executed poorly, like this is your fault. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you have to communicate those things to the market, right? I mean, every year you, you know, set projections. So to, to think that a lot of that growth would continue as it had during the pandemic is probably not <laughs> fair to assume. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that one specifically, I think you're right. I think I think another thing, I, I don't know, like on the flip side of it, in my mind, like the opportunity here is if you're a medium-sized or a small-sized company looking for talent, it's open season, man. Like yeah. <laughs> you've yeah. got all these people ready to like change the game, right? They're not going to chase the brand anymore. They want to they fit something that's more of a lifestyle. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's a, another great reshuffle if we think about it that way. So and I wanted to try to find these numbers and I couldn't, but like, so if you talk about the the larger companies, the FANG, right? The Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google thing, mm-hmm. and look at those larger companies, like um, obviously they're all kind of starting to to do the layoffs and, and, and cut down, but like, what are the, what are the smaller companies doing? Are they having the same trouble? Did they manage it better? Like if you look at the split between large and small, like is, is the same kind of thing happening or? Is it just the big guys that overplayed themselves? I think it's that pressure from Ryan, right? It's what Ryan's talking about. It's not that they necessarily. It, it's that the overplay is 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 noticeable in quarterly numbers, and since we don't have a long term view and we have to show a short term result and return, that we that they have there have more pressure to show a layoff to show that they're correcting, right? Versus you're smaller, you're private, you don't have the same market pressure. Hmm. I was I was sort of leaning towards saying that it was a little bit more centered around like consumer driven companies, but you know the one that I'm thinking of top of mind just because it happened what was that yesterday or two days ago is the Twilio one, which yeah. doesn't really fit that narrative, I guess. So I mean I didn't I didn't really read into the Twilio layoffs too much, but did they really give like any background on what the driver was there? Probably. Yeah, I didn't, probably. I, didn't, I saw the headline. I didn't read it. Who cares? <laughs> Actually, this might be a perfect classic. time to segue to the next news topic. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. So our next topic, Eric, you know, you want to talk about the uh, what's at the top of every every designer's mind this week? Ah, uh, yes. The, the the Adobe Buys Figma uh, piece of news that, uh, that at least I woke up to yesterday. I think uh, it, maybe that had gotten out a little bit earlier and I just didn't see it until yesterday. But yeah, that... Uh, I got nothing good to say about this. So, <laughs> Same. 
So the interesting, the, the, the part, the like, I mean, if you're if you're paying attention to this at all, like you're you're seeing what's going on on Twitter, and everyone's kind of saying the same thing. So like the, uh, which is like no one's super happy about it, and we can get into some of the reasons why. But like one of the the other perspectives was like I, I can't imagine what it feels like to be an executive or or someone in Adobe right now, and and like really start to get a a, a very um, loud piece of feedback about how most designers, the ones that use your tools, actually feel about your company. Talk about valuable user feedback, though. Like, I think that's actually really interesting if you think about it. Like, how many companies get such a visceral response to a move that they, yeah, that they can like, respond is, to? It, what are they going to do with that, right? Like, are they going to are they going to do the right thing, or are they going to do the Adobe thing? Yeah. I, I Yeah. I think the ideal scenario would be like Salesforce's approach with Slack, where it's just basically, I mean, I don't think even most people know that Salesforce owns Slack <laughs> at this point, but, you know, just like very hands-off, like operate as your own business. But I mean, historically, yeah, you being a designer and me being a designer, we both sort of know Adobe's uh, past missteps with acquisitions and just in general, you know, product lines that have sort of, I mean, I think of like fireworks, and there's a number of other different examples. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fireworks, uh, Macromedia director, like, yep. That that just in design. Just, yeah. Um, what was it? I was doing. I was doing Adobe Live Motion before they bought Macromedia because mm-hmm. they had a competitor product, and then the Macromedia was just doing so much better. They're like, "Yeah, we'll just buy Macromedia and just get Flash that way instead of having to build a yeah. product." Yeah. It, it's I, interesting because, like, Adobe. It, I mean, from so I started doing web design and image ready and like Photoshop three or some crap like that. Oh yeah. And it was never like, it was never a good tool for it. Right. Which is like why fireworks was, was doing well for Macromedia. It was a better tool for the way that we were building on the web then. And then obviously Adobe acquired it. Some of the image ready stuff came into Photoshop. Like that tool always basically sucked for web development. Um, so you, 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 you know, you fast forward and you bring in the sketches and you bring in the figmas and like, um, Creative Cloud hasn't really gotten any better for for web development. I mean, the, uh, Adobe XD tried, which was a bad copy of Sketch. But like, you just get this feeling that like Adobe, other than like features inside Photoshop, just can't innovate in a way that matters to to creators. No, that's that, really interesting. I was uh, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that's sort of inherent in the buyout, right? Is is Adobe has invested a significant amount of time and effort in XD and building up XD as a product line, and then to now at this point, just you know, totally go in the opposite direction of that strategy and just buy what is probably like the most prominent design tool in the market is a uh, is interesting. Yeah. I like. I mean, one of my first comments that I think I said to you guys was. I can't imagine like being one of the people that's worked on XD for, you know, five or six years. <laughs> I would feel yeah. at this point. So, <clears throat> and it's funny. Like I haven't used Adobe at a job for six, seven years, mm. right? The, and, and, yeah. And, and then <laughs> the only reason I use it personally anymore is for Lightroom. So I don't know. So yeah, the, the thing I find is really interesting is Adobe, uh, uh, they they got they bought Figma for uh, what twenty billion? Yeah, that's crazy. Billion dollars. Good so, for them though. But so here's yeah, the deal: Figma's real. Figma's ARR, their annual reoccurring revenue, is four hundred million exiting twenty twenty two. 
like they paid 50 times the revenue they're earning to buy this. Like this was insane. That is insane. I didn't know those numbers. That's so why I'm the nerd. That's why. Right, well, no, you're the, <laughs> that's the, why you're, the guy. You're, the, you're the smart business guy and I'm just the idealist designer dude. So, yeah. but so that's, a, that's a crazy premium. That is. Yeah. From why? what I can see it, from what I can see on Bloomberg in 2019, based on their investments that they were getting, they were valued at 440 million in 2019, which mm-hmm. is insane. Like, I mean, the pandemic must've just been monumentally huge. I mean, not, I, I not know 20 billion huge. <laughs> no, I mean, things are only worth what you're willing to pay for them. Right. <laughs> I think, I think part of it is, is interesting. I, I had a mentor once tell me that like the best CEO to sell to is a desperate CEO. <laughs> So I wonder if like Adobe is like feeling feeling the pinch. I think Eric, you kind of ca- encapsulated it really well when you said like I haven't used Adobe professionally in years, and maybe they're starting to see that and they're realizing they have to do something to save themselves. So the thing that that occurs to me is the Disney Pixar deal when Disney purchased Pixar, but then Pixar ended up running a lot of Disney. They used Pixar to sort of <laughs> help transform Disney. Now, f- successful or not, that's a different argument. But like that was sort of the goal. I'm curious. You know, Adobe said they're not going to sort of stomp on Figma. They let it run independently. I'm wondering if they're kind of thinking of the same kind of deal. Maybe like Figma becomes the new CC, (laughs) right? As they migrate Adobe features into more of a Figma world than the other way around. Yeah, someone, uh, I was listening to um, whatever the Twitter's version of Clubhouse and audio thing on on, on some of this yesterday. Um, Spaces. Yeah. And one of the designers there, I don't remember her name, what she said, which I thought was was kind of spot on is, you know, what there, there are some things that Figma still needed in it. And, and what we would have liked to or what she would have liked to have seen, and I agree with it, is like, what's Figma's take on Photoshop or on like, you know, raster editing? <clears throat> Not like what's Adobe's take of Photoshop inside Figma, but like what would what would a company that's had the success and like understands, um, you know, d- development product development today like Figma does like what what would their what would their solution look like and I, I that I think will probably be like one of the like I mean there's going to be things and tools that probably like never get made because of of this that might have been interesting. Hmm. That's a good point. Cool. Okay, so our topic today is what has design done for me lately? Uh Eric, do you want to take it away? Uh, I, I don't know how to start this really because like the, the, the um, I, I, I want to be like flip it and be like, what is design not done for you, right? Like <laughs> the uh, um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Nacho kind of seed this a little bit and and see where we go with it. Sure, sure, yeah, I, I like that. Dumb product guy is the perfect place to feed this. That's not what I said. I know you didn't. I said it. I said it. <laughs> But I'll I think it. It, <laughs> there you go. It's a good, it's a good perspective because I think you know I think product people do ask themselves that question, right? Why, why do I send it to design if I can put it in Balsamic and I can send it to somebody or I can I can give them an example of a page that already does it or we can just copy another feature? Like, why? What is design doing for me that I'm not doing? Mm-hmm. So the, the thing is, like, and I've gone back and forth with this in my head. I, I think for years, where like for a while. There was that thing where like everyone's a designer, right? And like <laughs> that, that 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 fluffed up designers' feathers, uh, I think, quite a bit. But the, the truth is, it's absolutely true, right? Like it, uh, design is 
the, the the structuring of an intent in in however the person that's putting something together puts it together, right? So like whether it's someone who is um, skilled in design and has the foundations or whether not, when they create something, they're designing it. So in reality, everyone is a designer. Um, so it, it, what, what it comes down to is um, like good and, and, and effective design or structuring... <clears throat> Uh, that solution to a problem in a way that most matches the business and users' needs, and that's where design with intent from designers should uh, come in and make the difference. Hmm. So okay, so so that that explains kind of like what a designer is and like what their role is. But what does design deliver? Like, what is the mm-hmm. outcome of of design? Mm-hmm. Um. What is the outcome of product and engineering? Well, so that's a that's a fair question. I'm not trying to start a philosophical argument. I'm trying to just say, like, <laughs> like, like, for example, I, I'll give you an example of 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 where I've come from in this. In my mind, like, some easy answers for me are like, design can help create trust, right? Like, what you see changes your perception. It's a community. It's a it's a communication medium. Right. Well, so the, the thing is, though, that like everything that design can do, like trust, it can do mm-hmm. the opposite too. Right. Right. It can cause distrust. It can, it can, it can cause you to suspect for sure. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it's it's about like the intent and then executing against that intent, which is where design as as a as a tool should be used. Okay. So so. So if the question is, what has design done for me lately? I guess maybe maybe another take on this is like, what what is the kind of state of design in the market? So like, I don't know what your take on this is, but like, I've I've said to a designer, um, I know, and here's where I get in hot water. But I've said to a designer, <laughs> um, I said I said, look, if you're not going to do something different, like just copy what best practices are. Right, like, why make it frustrating for the user if if there's already a model to follow? But if you're doing something unique, like design the hell out of it, right? Do something right. That, that takes research and work. I don't know. How do you react to that? So, like, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. How can I how can I white label this? Um, So let's say you're implementing. You've got you've got a you've got a feature that you're working on trying to do, and you're trying to. Um, I don't know how to white label this. Uh, a shopping cart. Well, no, like payments, right? Like how you take okay. payments in, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you are a company that started off um, with a lot of uh, a lot of people support, but not a whole lot of like engineering or product support, right? So like the way that you're going to take payments might be very manual. So then you move things around the organization, you invest in engineering, you invest in product, uh, and you start trying to bring some amount of um, like self-service workflow to the, to the user. So that, I think, is a perfect example of we now have uh, 15 years or, or longer of really good kind of ways to take payment information in and validate it against bank accounts and, and do all that fun stuff, right? So... Taking your example, a designer should be able to say, 
this is table stakes for the industry. We've been doing this for 15 years. We know how to do this. And then you get into a situation where the company is pressing you to, to deliver. And now like there are these weird shortcuts that are happening between, well, we can still pass some of it off to operations and they can still kind of like <laughs> do it manually. So then design's role at that point is like to remind everyone, like, remember, like we're trying to get, like, let, let's not like get, you know, 10 feet now to, you know, save 20 feet later or whatever, right? Like it's the, right. let me, let me release it in January and it's a piece of crap or release it in March. And it's actually like, we've made it to the table stakes part. I don't know if that's where you're going with that, but like, <clears throat> and I don't want to say that like, that makes it seem like design is the, the cop, um, which it isn't meant to be. No, it doesn't sound like a cop. I mean, in my mind, what I'm hearing is it sounds like the the design role is to be uh, the advocate for the ideal or or for the correct. Maybe is a better term. Like what I'm hearing you say is that is that there's a there's a optimal path or there's a there's a good way to do this, and you're as a designer, you're there to champion for that best path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, at least to me, and I, you know, I'm just going to interject here. Uh, at least to me, the role of a designer in like my, you know, very IC centric experience has been to serve as the guide for the wider product team, right? And you're you're trying to guide the team towards the most ideal user outcome given the constraints. Um, and you know, to Eric's point, you know, that might not look <laughs> correct. And and like a lot of times, yeah, it does come down to a scoping decision like that. And sometimes that can put you into an area where you're not delivering a solution that's really viable. Right. In your example, you know, you, you decided to deliver something this quarter and it doesn't really hit the mark. And if you would have just taken one or two more quarters, you would have really been able to, to nail that user need. So like that's our role, I feel, in, in these product teams is to just guide people towards viability for the user and really, you know, continuing to strive for that outcome that you're shooting for. Yeah, I mean, you could ask me, like, what has design done for, for me lately? It's like, well, you no longer have to screenshot your bank account and email it to somebody. that's fair that's fair i i I got that yeah that's good so but like where where you were going with like the the designer uh, the scenario you gave where it's like there are kind of these best practices which that's a slippery slope too right because like you you have to at that point believe that it is the exact same scenario and mental model and use case and all of that good stuff but like let's Mm. say that like that's close enough um so what, where, where were you going with that? And like at that point, like the designer doesn't really need to be part of that because that's the question, yeah. Do, what, what do they do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess the, that is the question, right? Does if if it's rote and we think it's the same, like is does what what role does design play there? Is it to enforce the standard because we think it's easier or? Yeah. Like, so I think if, 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 like, let's say you and I were working together on that and you came to me and you're like, hey, man, like, this has been done infinite amounts of time now. Like, is this something we really need to to go wonky on and, and, and be the innovative new way to accept credit cards? Um, I think what I would probably do is take a look at it. However, you know, it probably wouldn't take very long and probably just end up agreeing with you and make it happen, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. if a designer is... Uh, just trying to do something different to do something different, then we're not really serving anybody but ourselves, and that's not what we should be doing at all. So, that being so, said, if it's like a core function of your business, like let's say you're a payments processor, you know, 
and like reinventing that and finding a new spin on that would be really key and big for your business, then like maybe you do deem that as a, as a priority and a yeah. revenue would go down. But if it's like something that's fairly accessory to your overall product, then, you know, it's all based on relative importance. Yeah, and I would say it was the role of of the team to 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 figure that out, right? Like, and and you know, at that point, then if you've decided that this, like Ryan, you're saying that this is core to our business, and we need something here that differentiates from for, or differentiates us or opens something new in the market, then the team would attack that, and design would be part of that, obviously. But if the team is like, we just need to accept payments, like every other place out there then everyone should agree to that design should support however they need to, to, to let that get delivered. And then hopefully at that point, design has some bandwidth to go do the other parts of design and discovery and, and, and um, doing all that fun stuff. Okay. So let me, let me ask a different question slightly based on those responses. So mm-hmm. kind of what I heard from Ryan was this idea that, you know, one of the reasons you might innovate is for novelty, right? It's stand out to be new like not saying novelty is a bad thing novelty can be a very good thing right did something novel and new can be very exciting but like what other reasons do you think you'd want to break from the norm like what are the what are the the motivations that would justify sort of breaking or, or pushing a pattern if the user model or the the context of the user doesn't fit that familiar pattern you know like let's say you're designing for a specific industry or a specific context and you can't just, you know, fall back on the industry standard because the, the user's context is different and it just wouldn't fit or it wouldn't fit in an ideal way. So w- with that question, Nacho, are you asking what role does design have in innovation? Yeah, maybe it does. Maybe maybe it's when does design, when is design innovation meaningful? Hmm. <clears throat> so that, that goes with having to like, notice an opportunity that other people aren't either mm. noticing or aren't have noticed and don't care about, which is super broad. And I know not probably very helpful. No, that's interesting. <laughs> so you're saying the, the first step is really to, to distinguish that, that there's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I know we, we talked about like some examples we could use for this and this is going to, this is different than what I was thinking, but like if um, it, if you talk about table stakes versus innovation, right? And maybe this mm-hmm. isn't the best example, but it's the one that's top of mind. Um, the the Nest thermostat, the Nest Learning thermostat, mm-hmm. right? Someone could have come into that company, designed it just like everything else, and walked out the door and they're like, I'm a designer, cool. Um, there were tons of other thermostats that quote-unquote worked, right? Like um, you could walk into Home Depot or Lowe's and buy you know all sorts of different models, but then Nest was a different a different take on the thermostat that needed, you know, a, a team to, to think differently about, um, about how a thermostat could work. So if I think about kind of and that example, I'm, not, oh, I'm just going just to admit, like I am, I am trying very hard not to focus all of this on design only because that, that, that I think cheapens the product development because mm-hmm. There's there's so much else going on there, so I don't want this to be like, you know, if you if you pulled designers out of everything, nothing would would happen or nothing good would happen because you know. Uh, but I think that designers add um, an amount of, I mean, all the things that we talk about, right? Like empathy and understanding and aligning mental models, and I'm not just going to make something 
that um, makes the house 72 degrees, I'm going to make something that um, makes the person in the house comfortable when they want to be comfortable. Got it. No, that's interesting. I think, um, you know, one of the ways I used to communicate, um, I've worked in, I've worked in a couple of environments where people didn't, didn't know why we needed design, right? They didn't understand. Mm. And I had to make the case for, for a designer and the case that I made, um, and I'd be really curious to hear what your reaction was, is that design is about communication, right? Mm -hmm. When you're talking about a website or a thermostat or a, it's basically an inert object. There's no charisma. There's no human. There's no, there's no person there to sort of impart, um, um, you know, this nonverbal and other communication that we're so used to. And so design is a way of imparting that communication in visual or, or, you know, other mediums so that people can understand what it is you're trying to communicate. I agree with that. Um, and, and so here's, here's another piece where like, is this a design thing or is this just a people paying attention and, and one of them happened to also be a designer. So going back to, to nest, there's a, there's a story in there where they were, um, they were getting ready to, they were doing some of the final testing with the, the, the latest piece of hardware uh, and they gave it to users and they knew that like the biggest problem was going to be the install. Um, so they were really curious about how that went. So they, they reviewed or interviewed the people that had, that had taken it. And uh, I guess the, the amount of time to install was like an hour or just a little more, which was way more than they wanted it to be. <clears throat> so they dug into it and, and started uh, uh, kind of breaking the data down. And they figured out that like half of that time was looking for tools. So they designed tools to go with the nest so they could remove that part. So, to me, that's looking at you know design from a holistic perspective, from the user side, empathetic to their time, understanding that not everybody's going to have the tools. That has nothing to do with screens or buttons or flows, um, at least not uh, screen flows. So, like, design had a role in that. Yeah. Got it. So, I'm talking about communication. You're talking about functionality. <clears throat> well, I think there was you know there was obviously a conversation that had to happen, right? where the designers might have been doing some level of research or somebody was, somebody who was rendering intent. They're out talking in the market and they, you know, came up with, oh, well, this would, you know, we'd be able to reduce this amount of time if we just included tools or, you know, some sort of solution to that problem. And then, you know, the communication there would have been working with product management to resolve that that need that they uncovered. So, but like there's there's an interesting take there, right? Like, could you have communicated that you need to have these tools before you start? That wouldn't have that wouldn't have solved the problem, right? Like you could no. have designed the message on the box or the, when you launch the app to like, I don't know what, but you could have, you know, put some kind of communication medium in front of them that, that let them know that they needed to gather tools or you could solve the problem for them and, you know, yeah. give them the that, thing they needed. You know, that might be the, the, the example of the point you were making where, where it's not just about the designer where it's about the team because probably to come up with the solution that, you know, we create the tools probably is multidisciplinary, right. Mm -hmm. And design is a piece of that function. And so maybe it's that, it's that it's the combination of things. That's the, it's the sum that's greater than the parts, uh, uh kind of argument, right? Yeah. Cause I like it. So if, if you're going to decide to ship tools with this thing now, now there has to be some industrial design on the tools you're going to like, so, I mean, designs involved in that part. 
So what did design do there? Well, they kept the packaging the same to not increase shipping costs or storage costs. So I mean, there's, I think that like the, the, the hard part about this question for me anyway, is like, what has design done for me lately? Again, these are all like, whether it's a trained designer or whether it's someone just trying to, to make a product to get to market, like design is happening. It just may or may not have the, the training and intent behind it that, um, that you would want to get the best results. Okay. But I think maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the way to wrap this up is to like answer the question. Like what is in, in like as short as possible, what has design done for me lately? I think if I'm answering the question for myself, I think design has helped me fall in love with products. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there isn't a product that didn't have a design that spoke to me that I didn't fall in love with somehow. Well, okay. So uh, for for me, design has emptied my wallet. I guess because, like, <laughs> to that to that point, right? You find something that that speaks to you, or you uh, fall in love with because of design. That stupid Apple Watch Ultra is an example because I bought this <laughs> du- the damn thing. <clears throat> so I don't know. Like this this question, it, it's one of those ones that's kind of tough, but it shouldn't be tough. Well, that's great. Yeah, great topic. Um, great discussion. So let's let's move on to our next section, which we do every episode, which is uh, what has made you smile this week. Uh, Nacho, do you want to go first? Actually, this time around. Yeah, yeah, I can go. I can go first. Um, so for me, uh, uh, you know, I was going to talk about the release of Legend of Zelda, which is phenomenal. But I'm gonna I'm gonna shift it a little bit because um, <clears throat> what really made me smile is I actually had a couple of mentees come back to me this week. Uh, and had taken advice that I had given to them and had become successful with it. And so they came back and let me know kind of some of their success stories. And man, that put a smile on my face, I think, for like a couple of days. So that was absolutely wonderful. That's very cool. That makes mine sound completely lame. So <laughs> that was so that was so sincere and sentimental. I mean, right? Like, mm. <laughs> so you let's talk the, about cod. That's what you get from the product guy. I, I'm just, you know, well, you would think that, like from the design guy, you would get something or whatever. I'm just gonna like lean into the 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 lameness of it, and I'm super happy to check out the uh, the Modern Warfare Two reveal yesterday. So. I, I need to check it out. I haven't watched any of it yet. Um, I I have a very soft spot in my heart for the original Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare Two, and for like sure. the because I was like the prime age for like peak Xbox 360 <laughs> gaming. So um, mm. yeah, definitely excited to check that out. What like what's really like stood out to you about these entries? Because I know you know there's been. Specifically with shooters, there's definitely been some missteps lately. Yeah, I mean, Halo. The, the, oh god. <laughs> I mean, Battlefield. I know that a Battlefield game didn't really live up to the uh, the hype either. So Halo's been dying since version two. Man, it makes dude. me so sad. <laughs> Halo three was the peak, man. I don't know what you're talking. Is that about. the peak? Yeah, Maybe Halo. Peak, Halo man. three was definitely the peak. <laughs> Infinite plays really well. Like the movement is really good. Like it feels good. It's just I don't. It, whatever. It's not getting. I don't know what the problem is. Yeah. Um, other than we've been playing the same what six maps forever. Um, so on the on the Modern Warfare two reveal yesterday, like it was just. I mean, it's exciting to see um, like that to me. And this is just my take on it. Like um, like Vanguard um, and some of the stuff they're doing in Warzone prior to now. Like I really enjoy like the the more like 
military. Like, I don't want the character from Umbrella Academy in my game. <laughs> I want I want an operator. So, and I know that they're going to mess it up with that eventually. But like, it just felt very like really military and and, and operator centric. The the new gun system they've got going looks really interesting. I'm excited for that. They've completely changed up the way that the armory is going to work. Um, the movement mechanics are some new mechanics in there that are, uh, that look pretty interesting. You can now like hang off a ledge, um, instead of having to like mantle all the way up. So you can like hang and, um, aim over with your pistol that way. They've added water. You can actually like get in the water and do stuff now instead Ooh. of it being instant death or frozen over. Which is uh, just a, a programming uh, uh, language for I don't know what to do here, and so it, we're just going to kill you. They even basically admitted that. They're like, we, we, we didn't really know what to do with water. We didn't have the time for it, so we just basically just froze it or ooh, I just, I might, we just froze it or turned it into a, a death zone, a kill zone. <laughs> Which if you've ever accidentally like messed up your shoot in war zone and fallen in the water off the island, you instantly die, which is stupid. <laughs> So that may, I've been waiting for it for a while, so it, it made me smile. When's it? When's it come out? Uh, let's see. So <clears throat> I think it's towards the end of October, but they've got uh, a beta that kicks off this weekend for PlayStation. Ooh. Next weekend, the uh, beta is open for PlayStation and Xbox and PC, and then after the weekend after that, I think it's everything. So excellent, good. I have PlayStation Plus, so I'll. I'll go in there and snag a beta, even though I don't like the genre that much, just to, just for jealous points. Yeah, I can <clears> flaunt <throat> it. So that was. I'll post something on Twitter for you. Okay. I expect a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Thank you guys so much for tuning into the Your Ideas Suck podcast. Uh, thank you for checking out this episode. Be sure to follow us on any platforms that you listen to podcasts on, and we will see you next time. <laughs>